But what I want to talk about this morning is slaying your giants. Slaying your giants. And it sounds a bit gruesome, doesn't it? But metaphorically, slaying your allegorical giants doesn't have quite the same ring to it. One of the first occasions that we come across giants in the Bible is just after God has rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, in what we call the story of the Exodus. And they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness before finally reaching the border of the promised land that God has for them. And Moses, who's their leader, he sends 12 spies into the land to have a look around and to report back on what they've seen. Two of them come back and say, it's a wonderful place, rich in fruit, flowing with milk and honey. Let's go in right away. But the other ten come back and say, we can't get past the people who are there standing in our way. They're bigger and stronger than we are. In fact, they say, they're giants. So two of the spies see how wonderful this place is that God has for them their inheritance, this promised land that God wants them to be enjoying. But ten of the spies only see the giants standing in their way, giants that they felt that they couldn't overcome. So this morning I'd like to ask us this question. Is there a giant blocking your way to entering into the promised land, the place of abundance and fulfilment and joy and peace that God has for you. Are you still standing at the border of the place you know that God wants you to be living because of that giant? Is there something that looks like a giant in your life that you feel is too big for you to overcome? Because the promised land is the place that God wants you to be living. It's the life that he wants you to enjoy in him. And the giants are the negative ideas, the lies, the fears, and the destructive thoughts, and sometimes the destructive behaviours that are standing in our way. Now Israel did go into the land, if you know the story, and they, they did defeat those giants. But even after that, they continued to have to fight and win battles. And one of those is probably the most famous one in the Bible. And again, it was facing up to a giant. And it's the story, of course, of David and Goliath. We find it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And a tribe called the Philistines assembles an army to attack the Israelites. And King Saul gathers his army to defend themselves. And the Philistines and the Israelites are facing each other on opposite hills with a valley in between them. And what happens is that the Philistines send out a champion. And he comes down into the valley and he says, come and fight me in single-handed combat. And this champion is called Goliath. And he's huge. He is over nine feet tall. It says that just his armor weighs nine stone. Or maybe until March next year, I should say 57 kilograms pretty heavy. And Goliath says, if your champion kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. And he does this every day for 40 days, and the Israelites are too scared to respond. And that is what is at stake 
if we don't slay our giants, if we allow our giants to taunt us and live with them day to day instead of taking them on. They end up enslaving us when our destiny is that we should be enslaving them. It says in Ephesians 4 that when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive. In other words, Jesus took captive everything that would take us captive. He took captive captivity itself. Galatians 5 says it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom from everything that is a giant in our life and that wants to enslave us. So Goliath does this every day for 40 days and the Israelites are like rabbits in the headlights. They're frozen to the spot, hoping that somehow this giant will just go away. And just like a playground bully and the giants in our own lives, we can't keep ignoring them because they won't just go away. Their giant is taunting them and haunting them and taunting their God. And then David turns up. And David is not part of the army. Three of his older brothers are. But David stayed home to look after the sheep with his father. And he's only come to bring food for his brothers. And David says this. Who does this Philistine think he is? That he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Who does he think he is? And that is the first question that you and I have to ask when we are going to face up to our own giants. Who does he think he is to defy the plans and purposes of God in my life? So David says, I will fight this giant. And eventually King Saul agrees, even though David is probably the last person that you'd think could defeat any giant. And maybe you feel that you're the last person you can think of to defeat your giant as well. In fact, maybe you're worried that this talk is going to end up with you feeling ashamed and embarrassed by me having reminded you about this giant that you've been living with. This giant that seems to be always there taunting you every day. So Saul offers David his armour to wear, but of course it's too big for him. The Bible is painting a picture here that if this giant is going to be slain, then it's because firstly David says, yes, today is the day for me to be free of this giant in my life. And secondly, that God then does the rest. So David and Goliath start walking towards each other into the valley And Goliath is super confident. And he starts to curse David by the names of his gods. And that's a big mistake. Because when we take on giants who come against us, they're coming against our God as well. And this is what David says. And it's what God wants you to say this morning to the giant in your life. You come at me with sword, spear and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear.
This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And we kind of know what happens, don't we, in the story. But let's just watch a short video of it, just to give us a feel for what it would have been like. The warrior who defeats him will be a rich man. Not one man in Israel. Not one of God's people. I'll do it. David. You're no soldier, you're a shepherd. Yes, a shepherd. As I protect my sheep, God will protect me. Where is your faith? Where is your God? I will kill him. You'll need this. I'll be better without it. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You are with me. Thy rod and staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So how did David do it? For everything that I've said so far, you might be thinking, well, God did it. And and in a sense, of course, that is true. But it's a bit more than that. If we're going to slay the giants in our lives, we need more than just a hope and a prayer that God will do it. And certainly more than just a preacher's say-so. Like Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you which is probably just a slightly more spiritual version of good luck with that one. If we're going to fight serious spiritual battles, then we need assurance as to why our giant will be defeated. And to find the answer to that, we need to look at what happened in the chapter before the story that we've just watched in 1 Samuel 16. Now, I'm often saying that context is important in relation to Scripture, and this is no exception. 
David and Goliath isn't just a random case of God answering a prayer and everyone breathing a sigh of relief. Few, thank goodness, that God answered it. There are three things that are critical to how David did it, and they're not random at all. There are three things in the story that we miss if we only look at what happened in the video. And those three things in 1 Samuel 16 are these. Number one, David being chosen by God. Number two, David being anointed by God. And number three, David being empowered by God. Chosen, anointed, and empowered. Now, the first person that God chose to be king of Israel, the first king that they had that God chose to rule on his behalf was someone called Saul. But Saul failed because of his disobedience. And that's why God sent another king, David, to take his place. And there's a picture in this, because in Genesis, God first chose us to rule on his behalf over his creation, which we see pictured in Adam. Now remember that the Hebrew word Adam means mankind or humanity, so it's not just someone's name. And that story is telling us something about us, not just something about someone called Adam. And that's why God had to send someone else to us, another chosen, anointed, and empowered king, also from Bethlehem, his son, Jesus, the Messiah, someone who would succeed in his calling and be obedient where Adam failed. The word Messiah comes from the Hebrew word for anointed. So just hold that thought for a moment about the significance of David being called, anointed, and empowered in slaying his giant, and Jesus being called, anointed, and empowered to slay every giant that he encountered that was oppressing people in his ministry. Because we still need to see how all of this applies to us and to our giants, which we'll do in just a moment. So 1 Samuel 16 begins in verse 1 with this. The Lord says to Samuel, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And when he gets there, Samuel assumes one by one that the son that God has chosen must be one of the older ones. Samuel meets seven sons in all. But on each occasion, God says to Samuel, this is not the one. So he says to Jesse, do you have any more? And Jesse says, well, yes, there is David, uh, but he's out tending the sheep. Clearly, it had never occurred to him that David could be chosen, anointed, and empowered to slay a giant and to rule and reign as a king. And maybe it's never occurred to you either that you could be chosen, anointed, and empowered to slay a giant and rule and reign as a king. Maybe you always think that it must be someone else, that it could never be me. And then God says to Samuel, this is the one. It says in verse 12, then the Lord says, rise and anoint him, this is the one. So we've seen David chosen in verse 1, we've seen him anointed in verse 12, and then in verse 13, we see him empowered. From that day on, it says, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And it's these three things that explain 
what happens in 1 Samuel 17 that we watched a moment ago. It wasn't just random. It wasn't just a miraculous answer to prayer. It was God's choosing, God's anointing, and God's empowering. So I come back to how does this all apply to us and slaying our giants and ruling and reigning in our lives. Why wouldn't it be just pretentious or big-headed for us to think that? So stay with me. Firstly, it is no accident that the Old Testament expectations of the Messiah were that he would be another king like David and a descendant of David. It was prophesied by Isaiah, Micah, Zechariah and Samuel, amongst others. And it's no surprise that the very first verse in the New Testament, Matthew 1.1, the very first thing that it does is to identify Jesus as the son of David. There are 54 references to David in the New Testament, including all four of the Gospels and even three in the book of Revelation. For example, in Matthew 12, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man and it says all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Matthew 9, two blind men call out to Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. The exact same thing happens in Matthew 15 and Matthew 20. And of course, there's what we call Palm Sunday, when the crowds greet him as he rides into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey with Hosanna to the son of David. They recognize that Jesus is this prophesied one whom God chose and anointed and empowered to slay those giants that come up against us as God's people, just as David was chosen and anointed and empowered to slay his giant that came up against Israel as God's people. So there's no doubt, is there, that that Jesus slayed giants in his ministry. But what we need to know about the giants in our lives is how in itself that is relevant to us. So just remember those three features of David in 1 Samuel 16, that he was chosen, anointed, and empowered. The New Testament doesn't just speak of Jesus in those terms, it speaks of all of us in those terms as well. So in Romans, it says we're chosen. In Ephesians, it says we're chosen. In Colossians, it says we're chosen. In 1 Thessalonians, it says we're chosen. James, the brother of Jesus, says we're chosen. Peter says we're chosen. And John, in Revelation, says we're chosen as well. Let me just give you one quick example from Ephesians 1. It says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And you see here what is the critical ingredient of us being chosen, anointed, and empowered, that it's true of us in him, not in ourselves. Because just in Adam, we are none of those things. But in Jesus, we're all of those things. The New Testament also says that we're anointed to reign in life, just as David was anointed as king, and Jesus the Messiah was anointed as king. In Romans 5, if by the transgression of the one man, meaning Adam, death reigned through the one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ? Reigning in life is what kings do, isn't it? 
And that is our destiny as well in Jesus. With nothing that oppresses us, that holds us in fear or captivity, being allowed to continue to be reigning over us in our lives. And this verse here is contrasting what comes through being part of Adam's defeat with what comes through being part of Jesus' victory. And in uh, 1 Peter 2, he brings both these aspects together, chosen by God and sharing in King Jesus' royal status. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And in Ephesians 2, it says that God has raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms on a throne at God's right hand. So we're chosen, we're anointed, and then finally we are empowered. And we're not just empowered for its own sake or to entertain people or impress people. The Holy Spirit does not do party tricks. We're empowered to bring the inbreaking kingdom into people's lives. We're empowered to continue Jesus' mission in Luke 4. That is what our empowering is for. This is what Jesus said in, in Luke 4, quoting from Isaiah 61. This was his mission statement in his very first sermon. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And that's what we want to do here as well. So our being chosen, our being anointed and our being empowered by the Spirit is ultimately all about bringing good news to people in their lives, bringing freedom from everything that is holding them captive and releasing them from everything that is oppressing them and blinding them to what God has for them. 1 John 5 says that we were destined to be overcomers, to overcome everything that the world would throw at us, every giant in human life that comes against us. So is there a giant in your life this morning? What does it look like? Can you picture it if there is one it almost certainly would have come into your mind right at the beginning of the talk when I asked if there was a giant blocking your way to entering into the promised land in your own life this place of abundance and fulfillment and joy and peace that God has for you you know the thing about giants is that they're like bullies aren't they they hold us captive They steal our freedom. They stand in the way of what God has for us. Just like the Israelites could only see giants standing in the way of them entering into their promised land, maybe that's all you can see. Maybe you're still standing on the border of what God has for you. And all you can see is that giant blocking your way. Maybe you're in fear of that giant, just as the Israelites were in fear of Goliath. But you know, folks, we have to conquer our giants before we can properly enjoy the land that God has for us. But our calling, our anointing, and our empowering as God's people, our destiny as God's people, is so that we can be free of those giants. 
when I was um, praying about this talk, I was asking God if he would show me what some of those giants are, particularly in people's lives here today. And these are some of the ones I felt that he showed me. Hopelessness. Fear. Being unable to forgive. Guilt. Rejection. Self-loathing. Addiction. And issues from way back in your past that you've never fully found release from. And then just in the service this morning, I felt he added one to that list, which is a broken relationship here that you would love to see healed. That is your giant. So how do we do that? The first thing we need to do is to acknowledge that God has called us to be a person who is chosen, anointed, and empowered, to be released from captivity and fear, and to defeat that giant, because that is our destiny in him. The second thing we need to do is to name that giant, to acknowledge that the giant exists, and that it is standing in our way and casting a shadow over us, and to invite Jesus into that battle that we're facing. And the third thing we need to do is to step out. We only slay our giants when we take that first step towards them. But 1 Corinthians 15 says, Thanks be to God. He has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now nothing that I'm saying this morning should give you the impression that I'm saying that one prayer will immediately or automatically change everything because it depends a lot on what that giant is and how deeply it may be embedded in our life. Some things may take time with deeper prayer ministry and maybe emotional healing and perhaps professional help as well. And some things require us to do something ourselves. Andy Gilbert, our assistant pastor, often says, just stop it. And what he means by that is that Some giants get slain when we repent and we change the way we're living and the people and the influences that we've been listening to. But whatever it is, the steps to that freedom are the same. The steps to slaying our giant are the same. Number one, acknowledge that God has chosen you, anointed you and empowered you to be free of that giant. Number two, name that giant. Acknowledge that it exists and that it is casting a shadow over your life. And number three, step out. Take the first step to slaying that giant this morning. And we're going to take some time and space to do just that now.